Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 4. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Chippy the parakeet. Isn't that a great opening? (laughs) Chippy the parakeet was simply minding his own business. Let me have your attention. Look at me. Listen. Chippy the parakeet was simply minding his own business and singing his song one day when his owner decided to clean out his cage with the vacuum cleaner. No. The phone rang and the lady went to answer it. And that's when things began to go wrong for Chippy. Without the guidance of the woman, the business end of the vacuum cleaner sucked the bird up and sent him into the dust bag. Realizing what had happened, the woman tore open the bag and found Chippy. He wasn't dead. He just looked stunned and covered with dust. The woman decided to revive Chippy, and so she ran ran him to the bathroom sink and turned on the water and stuck Chippy under the flow. Now Chippy is cold and wet. And then she decided to dry the bird off, not with a towel, but with a hairdryer. Chippy goes from being sucked up to being nearly drowned to being blown over. A friend asked the lady a few weeks later how Chippy was doing. And she replied, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. Somebody once said, life comes at you fast. That's very true, isn't it? And this morning, this afternoon, in this last and final section of John chapter 4, life is coming at the nobleman fast, as he's probably feeling pretty blown over by life, as he's faced with the possible death of his son. This nobleman in John 4, this last part of John 4, in desperation comes to Jesus in faith believing that Jesus is able to heal his son. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, the nobleman's faith. You got a pen? You got a pad? I'm going to give you four things regarding the nobleman's faith. Four things regarding the nobleman's faith. Number one, taking notes, the resolve of his faith. We're going to talk about it in verses 43 through 46. And then secondly, the request of his faith in verse 47 through 49. And then thirdly, the response of his faith. We'll talk about that in verse 50. And then finally, we'll talk about the reward of his faith in verses 51 through 54. The resolve of his faith, the request of his faith, the response of his faith, the reward of his faith. Four things that we're going to talk about today. I don't know. Y'all seem a little quiet to me. Come on, read it with me. 
what we're going to talk about, the no man's faith. We're going to talk about, number one, the resolve of his faith. Okay, I need everybody to read it with me, all right? It's right there on the screen, all right? Matter of fact, let's just start from the beginning. Chippy the parakeet was simply minding his own business. I'll do it. Y'all better work with me, all right? We're going to read this together. Number one, the resolve of his faith. That's better. Number two, the request of his faith. Number three, the response of his faith. And finally, number four, the reward of his faith. And I've titled this sermon, you guessed it, the noble man's faith. John chapter four, saints, we're going to pick up in verse uh, 43. We'll read down to verse 54. Come back and have some comments. John chapter four, beginning in verse 43. And we're going to wrap it up today. I feel like I'm leaving an old friend. I don't know why. John 4, verse 43. If you're looking at verse 43, say amen. amen. Now, after two days, he departed from there. And where did he go, saints? Galilee. To Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. I want you to underline that in your neighbor's Bible. <laughs> go ahead. Reach over. I'll wait. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had also gone to the feast. We don't know what feast it was, but just the feast, the party. So Jesus came again to Canaan of Galilee, where he, in verse 46, had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick. And he was where? At Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea and to Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. And then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Well, the nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your son lives. And so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. And then he inquired of them the hour when he had gotten better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And so the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he came out of Judea into Galilee. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Just curious, how many of you have been with me through the John 4? Through John 4. Okay, and that is most of you. And then you know then, I want you to look at John 4, 4. Look at John 4, 4. It tells us that Jesus needed to go through Samaria to keep a divine appointment with a woman coming out to draw water from Jacob's well. She was tired and wearied and asked Uh, Jesus was tired and weary and asked the woman for a drink of water. The woman is shocked because Jesus is a man and a Jew. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans because they don't like them. She didn't know that she was talking to Jesus who likes everybody. Isn't that right? Jesus likes everybody. I told you last week, might I refresh your memory? Jesus doesn't see people in class and caste and social economic status, race or color. Jesus simply sees souls, lost or found, saved or unsaved, redeemed or in bondage. Jesus didn't see a Samaritan woman at the well. He saw a lost soul at the well. 
Jesus saw a soul looking for love in all the wrong places. So Jesus drew her into a conversation and asked for a drink of water. And Jesus is treating this woman with dignity and respect. And she begins to wax theological. Were you with me? She begins to wax theological go about where to worship. And Jesus said, forget about it. Those who worship me must worship me. Anybody know? In spirit and in truth. Look at verse 23 in chapter 4. Because this is what the Father is looking for. Well, by the time Jesus finished speaking with this woman, he boldly declared that he was the Messiah. And she believed him. And she left her water pot. And she went and she told everyone. I like to say she left her water pot but she took her fountain that was springing up to everlasting life with her. Look at verse 40. It tells us that Jesus stayed in Samaria for 48 hours. It's in these 48 hours the woman sowed seeds in Samaria. It's in these 48 hours that Jesus sowed seeds and more believed in Jesus because of the word that he spoke. Interesting. They didn't believe because of the miracles, but because of the word. Acts chapter 8. Remember last week I gave you homework. Did you do it? No. Acts chapter 8, I told you to read it. We see the fruit of those seeds sown and the harvest in Samaria as a spiritual awakening, awakening in Samaria, which began with an unlikely woman to unlikely people of Samaria. Well, after two days, 48 hours, Jesus left Samaria and he went to Galilee. And I believe it must have been hard for Jesus to leave Samaria. Jesus was having a lot of success among these people. He probably made some friends and went over a few houses for lunch. Revival is breaking out among the Samaritans and people are coming out to his Bible study. Keep in mind the people of Samaria were looked down upon by others. The people of Samaria were considered half-breeds. Are you listening? And I believe Jesus liked them. And I believe Jesus is going to miss these people in Samaria because these people in Samaria, these half-breeds, these people that were hated by the world, hated by the religious people. They weren't religious. They weren't, um, you know, super spiritual. These Samaritans didn't know Christian lingo. They weren't like the people in Jerusalem, religious and holy. Jesus probably liked it there because they weren't religious. Nobody likes to be around religious people. Amen. That's why I don't like it when somebody says, oh, I'm glad you found religion. Listen, Christians, we don't have a religion. We have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, with a living Savior. Is that the best clapping y'all can do? That sounds better. That sounds better. So now Jesus is going back to a place where they didn't like him. He said it himself in verse 44. They don't like me in Galilee. A prophet is without honor in his own country. Mark chapter 6, verse 4, if you're taking notes, tells us a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Galilee was Jesus' country. This is the area that he grew up because these people felt so familiar with Jesus, they didn't honor him the way they should, which tells us they really weren't familiar with Jesus because they would have given him the honor that is due his name. And whenever I think of his name, here's a freebie for you. Acts 4, 12. Nor is there salvation in any other name, for there's no other name under heaven given among men. Somebody help me, by which we must be saved. There was a lot of racial tension in Jesus' day, like our day. 
They looked down on the Samaritans, the Jews did. The Judeans looked down on the Galileans. The Judeans viewed themselves more theologically pure. The Judeans viewed Jerusalem and Judea as the place of God's blessing. So for the Galileans, Jesus is a hometown boy who made it good, who made it big. This Jesus from Galilee, our hometown, stirred the whole city of Jerusalem. Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. You know, every time I read these words, I think about um, 1995. Uh, I was in Temecula, California. And uh, anybody know what Temecula, California is? Anybody know what Temecula is? Okay, that's good. That's a few of y'all. And uh, Santa Ana, California? Who knows what Santa Ana is? Y'all know what Santa Ana is? That's another few of y'all. That's good. And um, I was out in Temecula, California, and that's actually where I began ministry. And my pastor was going to a pastor's conference in Santa Ana, California, at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, Pastor Bob Chapel, who was pastoring the church in Calvary Chapel, Greece, New York. Uh, and he's now gone on to be with the Lord. And uh, so he had taken me to, I thank God for Bob, Pastor Bob, because he was um, a really nice guy. And Pastor Bob Chapel, he was kind of a bluegrass country boy, and I'm a city boy. He's white. I'm obviously black. Say amen. I'm happy about it. Amen, brother. Yeah. I'm okay with it. And, uh, but it was interesting how different we are. And yet the Lord brought us together to go do ministry together. We traveled to Japan and so many countries just doing ministry. And he's playing his guitar and I'm singing gospel. It was so odd. But he showed me ministry. It's because of him that I'm in ministry. Because he wasn't religious. He loved the Lord. He loved God's word. I'll see him again someday. And uh, so he took me to a pastor's conference in uh, California. And, and uh, one morning we were having breakfast and Pastor Joe Foch, I don't know if you know him, Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, and um, uh, Pastor Raul Reese. And some of y'all don't know any of these names. And uh, these guys all have large churches in California. And uh, 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 Pastor Greg Laurie, uh, they were having breakfast and Bob knows all of them. And so he goes over to have breakfast. He says, Ronnie, come over here and have breakfast. You know, sit with us. You know, so I sat with them. And then um, Pastor Bob told them and said, he said, well, you know, hey, Ronnie's going to go out and start a Calvary Chapel in Raleigh, North Carolina. Was telling these guys around there. And they were like, oh, that's great. That's great. And uh, so Pastor Joe, who's from Philadelphia, he says, hey, well, you know, you're from Philly. And we're thinking about, you know, planning a Calvary Chapel in Philadelphia. So why don't you pray about it and come to Philadelphia and plan an inner city ministry, uh, Calvary Chapel there. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get you all set up and take care of the church and get you a building and sound system and chairs and, and uh, children's church stuff. And we'll throw in some crayons and stuff. And I'm like, ooh, the crayons. I mean, that really got, those crayons, man, that got me. I was just like, ooh, crayons. And because uh, crayons are important in children's ministry. Parents say, hey, man, you better have some crayons. 
and a piece of paper. Otherwise, it's going on the wall. And uh, so, um, you know, and so he says, hey, why don't you pray about coming, coming to Philadelphia and starting the church? And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'll pray about it and everything like that. And, and uh, you know, I was enjoying the fellowship with them. You know, the, you know, I felt like I was one of the big boys. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm hanging out with big boys. Big boys, Calvary Chapel. Some of them had churches, 10, 15, 20,000 people. I'm like, yeah. I'm moving on up <laughs> to the east side, deluxe apartment, fish don't fry in the kitchen. Where my people at? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all act like y'all don't watch the one-eyed demon. Oh, the TV is evil. <laughs> and... uh Man, uh, so the next day I came back to breakfast and, and then Pastor Joe goes, so what do you think about, you know, playing the church in Philly? And, and say, I said, you know what? It was because of this verse. Uh, a prophet is not, I said, you know, Pastor Joe, I said, thank you for the offer. I said, but a prophet is without honor in his own country. I said, I don't think they're going to like me in Philly. And uh, I said, so I think I'm going to go to Raleigh, North Carolina and start this church. And I am really, really glad I did. I absolutely thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I love it here. I love it here. I love this church. I love what God is doing here. I'm so blessed here. I'm so blessed here. I'm so blessed here. And, uh, and I honestly, what blesses me the most of everything, uh, two things, uh, actually three things, um, four things actually, no. But most of all, what blesses me about this church is Anybody can come to it. Black folks, white folks, Indian folk, anybody can come to this church and hear God's word. I need to hear y'all make some noise and clap your hands. Will you do that? Anybody can come to church. I'm so glad I did. And so glad I obeyed the Lord. And the best place to be is in the center of God's will. Y'all know that. And I could have been in Philadelphia and had a great church and whatever, blah, blah, whatever. But if God wasn't blessing it, then what does it matter? The Lord builds a house. And then when I got here, you know, I just started a church and then we had four weeks, we had 40, five weeks, we had 40 people. And a year later, we had 110 people. And two years later from that, we had 300 people. And starting church was easy here. And the reason why it was easy was because God called me here. And God is the one who started this church. I still tell you today, God is the one who started this church. Pastor, I had nothing to do with this church. This church, God started this church. Unless the Lord builds the house. If I had pastors call me and they're trying to labor and get this and get that, and how come people are not coming to our church and uh, so on and so forth. And I'm like, you know what? Because if the Lord isn't doing it, it can't be done. Somebody need to say amen. If God's not doing it, it can't be done. Conversely, if God is doing it, it can't be stopped. I know that's right. I know that's right. So Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor. We got to move on. Look at verse 45. So when Jesus comes back to the area of Galilee, you're looking at verse 45, say amen. When Jesus comes back to the area of the Galilee, the Galileans received him. Notice, having seen. Keep in mind, the Samaritans received him having heard his word. This is the basis of genuine faith. Having heard, not seen, 
Hebrews 11.1, 1, write it down. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what? Not seen. Remember I told you that word substance is the word essence or underlying reality. Faith is the underlying reality of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith isn't something you make up. Faith isn't a blind leap into the light or a step into the dark. True biblical faith is built on something. True biblical faith has substance. It's not miracles or feeling. It's it's the word of God. Can somebody say amen? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God. Second Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith and what? Not by sight or feeling. First John 5, 4. This is the victory that has, that, that has overcome the world, even our faith. Verse 46 tells us Jesus came again to Canaan of Galilee and not Capernaum, where the boy was sick, but Canaan of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. Canaan of Galilee is known as the town of Nathaniel. Notice Jesus does his first miracle in Nathaniel's hometown. There are seven recorded miracles in John. The healing of this boy is the second. Throughout John's gospel, Jesus is going to make the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame to walk, the dead to live again. Throughout Jesus' entire earthly ministry, he performs approximately 36 miracles. Some say 33, 36 uh, miracles. Look at verse 46. Tells us there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick, and the son was currently located in Capernaum, Jesus' hometown. And when the nobleman heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to Jesus and asked him to come and heal his son because his son is dying. Point number one, the resolve of his faith. Notice the nobleman. This word nobleman is the Greek word basilikos. It means belonging to the king or to a king. Kingly, royal, regal. This man was a prestigious man. He was a man of rank. He was a royal official. Many scholars believe he was an official connected to Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is the man who would execute John the Baptist. This man had everything going for him in the natural, but his child is sick and at the point of death. And can I tell you something? It doesn't matter. And my parents, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter how much rank you have, how much influence you have. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter if you have a black card or a gold card or an old card. It does not matter. When it comes to your children, you don't go to Herod and you don't go to the world. You go to Jesus, don't you? You go to Jesus. I'm waiting while somebody clap your hands. You go to Jesus, the source of life. Am I right about it? The son is sick and dying. The doctors are helpless. The mother is weeping. The father is out of options. And he needs a miracle. He's standing at the bedside of the boy. and He thinks, hmm, I heard about the water to wine miracle. I know that because government keeps track of various ruckus in Jerusalem. Obviously, this Jesus is a miracle-working man. This man of power and prestige and influence doesn't send a servant. He goes to Jesus himself, and he finds Jesus in Canaan of Galilee, which is an uphill journey from, Can from Capernaum. This man, by faith, traveled uphill and has resolved to get to Jesus. This man comes to Jesus because he has a need. Listen, nothing wrong with going to Jesus if you have a need. Somebody say a better amen than that. Some people think, well, I'm not going to go to Jesus because I have a need. Listen, 
The time to go to Jesus is when you have a need. Jesus is the one that's telling you to come to him if you have a need. Cast your cares upon me because I care for you. If you have a heavy burden, give it to him and he'll give you a light burden. Jesus is the one that's saying come to him if you have a need. Christians are accused of leaning on Jesus as a religious crutch. Truth is, everybody's going to lean on something. Amen. Sex, some. Drugs, rock and roll. Elvis. I don't know why I said Elvis. Everybody's going to lean on something. Why not lean on Jesus? Jesus has leaned on me. Y'all think Bill Withers came up with that, don't you? Bill Withers didn't come up with that. Ain't nothing new under the sun. Jesus said that. Lean on me. Oftentimes, God will allow things and arrange things so we have no other choice but to lean on him. God will allow you to get to the place where we realize that money and mommy and daddy and religion and rank and prestige cannot help you. No one can help you except Jesus. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.